I know, I know you do not need another email clogging up your inbox. I myself have too many unread emails right now, but Girlboss Daily is your free must read morning newsletter. Stay on top of everything that's happening in the world of work as it unfolds and get helpful tips on everything from being a better leader to prioritizing your wellness. No spam, no junk, only the most curated content, I promise. Join over 200,000 ambitious women and sign up today at girlboss.com forward slash newsletter. That's girlboss.com forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Girl Boss Radio. I am joined again with Liz and Victoria. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Episode three. Yes, yes. And we're all very excited to get into this episode. We're talking about vaginas today. We love her. We love her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is like a yes end. I don't have vagina issues. I have a lot of vagina fear because there's so little research and education and support into like women's health, but specifically vaginal health, which we talk about on this episode. I feel like there's a lot of conflicting information about like what you need to do. For example, the vaginal wipes I found out in this conversation not so good for you. You don't need to use those. Vaginal gummies from certain brands don't necessarily work. Optimizing your menstrual cycle to work for you doesn't exist. There's no research that backs it. It feels like there's so much noise around my vagina. (laughs) It feels like anything I do is actually just working against it. For sure. No, for sure. And I feel like also to just the marketing world, I feel like there's so many products on the market that you're inundated with here all the ways that you can optimize your vagina. It's always to this or not enough this. It smells this way. So you need to use a scented vaginal wash or it's too dry or it's too wet. And I remember we're going to... We're going to get real honest, if that's okay with you guys. I was like 13. I was growing up and I was looking at my vagina one day. I was like, why is it so flappy? And I like called my doctor. Stop. And I was like, is this normal? Because again, if you watch porn, everything is so... Toit. It's so toit. And I was like, oh my God, I definitely have like an Audi vagina. And I was like, is this normal? So I called my doctor in a panic and... Thankfully, he was really supportive and was like, yes, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with your vagina. But I feel like so many stages in life, it's not going to smell like the Garden of Eden. It's going to smell like a body part. And that's okay. I cannot, with all the stress that comes along with having a vagina, throw menstrual cycles in there, your period, ingrown hairs, waxing, the scent, the flaps, whatever you want to call it. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I have a lot of guy friends. None of them are ever worried about their penis. Truly. <laughs> But my friends and I, we all get into it about our vaginas. We all have lots to say about them. So yeah. But speaking of who has a lot to say about vaginas is today's guest, Dr. Jen Gunter. We wanted to have her on because this is a person that is not paid to give advice. She's a OBGYN. She's licensed. And I think she's the best resource if you really have those questions and you're wondering if you're normal or you're wondering if you should be period cycling. We talked about that. Can you tie your period cycle to certain productivity periods? Maybe you're better off doing really hustly, big idea work at certain part times of the month, but not others. So she gets into whether or not that's true and a bunch of other goodies about all things feminine health. Yeah. She's also known as the internet's favorite goop critic because she's not afraid to dispel the BS women are being told about their bodies. And no, you do not need to steam your vagina like Gwyneth Paltrow does. And in her brand new book, Blood, The Science, Medicine, and Mythology of Menstruation, coming out on January 23rd, 2024, 
she just pulls apart all of the myths and debunks all the things we're seeing and hearing on TikTok right now. I've read the book, read it twice, and it was a mindfuck. I learned so much that I didn't know about my vagina. And I consider myself a pretty well-informed person when it comes to those things. So with all that said, let's get into the pod. Dr. Jen Gunter, thank you so much for joining us today at Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. We all have our own experiences where we've not necessarily received adequate health care or we're tending to our bodies based on things that we assume to be true and myths. What role do you think social media is playing in creating even more disparities in our understanding of our bodies? Yeah. So I think that social media is one of these big two-headed beasts or double-edged swords. There's definitely good. It's amazing to see women posting about their menstrual experiences and what it's like to bleed and the different products that are available and the ability to talk about something that shouldn't be shameful. Menstruation shouldn't be shameful, but Sometimes people can't talk about it in person, but they can on social media. And in that way, I think it's fantastic. But it's also become this incredible playground for disinformation. And because lies are, they're interesting and they're wild and the algorithm knows that's what we all want to see. We all get caught up in it. I think that we're seeing just every single day I get tagged in more than one video about some absolute ludicrous piece of information from someone who has a very large following. And it takes one exposure to a piece of disinformation for it to actually stick. And I'm actually curious for you too, when we talk about curating your feed and the people that you follow, so you aren't perhaps on the receiving end of propaganda about your body, like how do people do that? So I would say if somebody is selling you something in the health space, then they're not a reliable source of information especially if they're selling things like supplements. We have this whole field of unregulated products, supplements, and they make people a lot of money. The wellness industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And ads are often not easy to tell, right? Sometimes people will say partner, this or that. But I always tell people, look, if I was selling a specific birth control pill, if I told you Dr. Jen Gunter's birth control pill, you would be like, why would I listen to contraception information from her? Because she's selling a pill. So people should take that same skepticism that they have about pharma and if it was a pharma ad, and they should apply that to all wellness products. You can't really provide unbiased information and be selling something. And it's really hard because... That's why these people use influencers because they're influencing and you've developed a connection with this person. And so you have this fear of missing out. If they're telling you that a supplement can fix something, they don't care about you. They just don't. As you're talking about this, have you ever been presented with brand deal opportunities? Because you have a following on social as well. If Tiffany's or Chanel want to call me up, then (laughs) totally. But nothing in the healthcare, remotely healthcare sphere. In fact, I won't even be interviewed for like a blog for a product or anything like that. I'm very aware that people look to me as a source of unbiased information. I won't do any partnership with anything vaguely medical. So yes, clothing, if you want to send me free clothing, sure. (laughs) One thing that I'm really interested in, whenever I do research for conversations like this, I really want to better understand how people feel about the people that I'm meeting with. And through doing some internet sleuthing and checking out the comment section and even just reviews people have left on your book, like Goodreads, whatever, a lot of people have described your books as more helpful than their doctor. Why do you think this is a common experience? 
I think there's a lot of reasons. I think one, a lot of doctors are given 12 or 15 minutes and you can't possibly deliver medical care in that time. Maybe you can treat someone's strep throat, right? And you can do a pap smear for someone who doesn't have any other medical problems at all. But that's about it. And so I think there's that issue. I think that there's a lot of difficulty getting to what's really the heart of the matter. So if somebody comes to see you and they say, for example, I have a yeast infection, they might, but they might have something else that they think is a yeast infection. And so it's really important to say, we need to stop and we need to go back to the beginning. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that yeast infection? What do you mean by those symptoms? And then work the person through to make sure that's really what it is. And it doesn't mean that I'm not disbelieving someone, but I want to make sure the diagnosis is correct. And a lot of my books do that. Where I think we're all very accustomed to say, I think I have this, or I think I have that, as opposed to what you really need to do is to step back and say, I have these symptoms. What could these symptoms mean? And then work from that way. And so I think that's a new approach for a lot of people. I try to lay the books out in the way that I think in the office. I provide people some background information. I ask a lot of general information. Then we proceed to the problem. I'm hopeful that the books help people work through those problems like they would with me in the office. Yeah. For me, the book has actually given me like a set of language and then even just a, a level of awareness that if I go into the doctor's office with my family doctor, I think that I'm going to probably have a little bit more guidance and I'll be able to optimize that 12 minutes with them. That's true. Just like there's simply just not enough time. One of my big goals was to be able to help level the playing field in the office with people so that exactly what you said, that having the language, you go in, so you know the terminology. When your doctor's using a word, you have an understanding of it. And I don't mean to make excuses for medicine not being able to do that, but the fact of the matter is that's where we are, that there's a communication gap. And so let's solve that communication gap. Let's give people the information when they walk in. Because I think of people who, in my own practice, people who come in, like, for example, let's just take when the vaccines were rolled out for COVID. People came in and said, yeah, I read this on the CDC website and the WHO website and the California Health Department says this. I'm ready. I want to get my vaccine. As opposed to the conversation where someone comes in and I say, hey, so we have this COVID vaccine now. And all they've heard is disinformation. They think of, you're going to give me spike proteins that are going to shed and it's going to cause miscarriages. And instead of giving that patient care in the office, what I'm doing is undoing disinformation, which is medical care, but I'm still getting them prepped for the appointment. I'm not even at the point where I can answer a question or move forward. I like to think of my books as a way to help level the playing field for people. I wanted to get your thoughts cycling. Cycling as it relates to people and their menstruation, their periods. Oh, so you mean like working your whole schedule around your cycle, that type of thing? Yes. There really isn't any science to support it. There are some popular accounts a few years ago that have talked about you only want to do this kind of exercise in the first week of your cycle and this kind of exercise in the second and so on. And there really actually isn't any good data to back that up, meaning that your muscles respond if you want to do aerobic, if you want to do lifting, you do whatever you want to do. But there's also the concept of we should also listen to how we feel. And so if, for example, you're someone who has a lot of, for example, say breast tenderness right before your menstrual cycle starts, then it might very well make sense for you to maybe not go heavy on arms during that time, right? But that's like common sense. But people also get to live their lives how they want to live their lives. And if they feel better doing something at a different time of the cycle, okay, that, that's great. But feeling better and having a sort of a medical validity to it and something that science can show are very different things. 
Okay. So what you're saying is that people cannot actually optimize their cycle to perform better at work. I am not aware of any data to show that. So I don't believe that people have done studies where they've taken groups of people and said, you're going to work based on your menstrual cycle and you're going to work based on this. And then we're going to cross people over. But it's also true that people may be more productive in different times. And also, I think it's really important to mention that some people have really bad menstrual cramps and it may be harder for them to work in the office when they're having bad cramps. And maybe they do better working at home We've certainly learned with COVID, moving so many works to virtual, that we can do a lot remotely. And I'm certainly no workplace expert, but my understanding is the data on the four-day work week has actually shown that increases a lot of productivity. And so I think giving people the flexibility to manage their work based on how they feel that they're the most productive is an interesting concept. But whether you should be doing this kind of work in the first week of your cycle, this kind of work in the second week, and this kind of work in the third week, I'm not aware of any data to support that. I really appreciate that. We are in the age of the quantified self. What does the quantified self mean? I think it's this concept that you can measure all these physiologic variables and use them to improve your life. And I think the most extreme example is that dude who keeps getting in the news about how he's reversing his age or something. And I think he just keeps looking worse and worse, but whatever, each to their own. I think that's to the nth degree, right? That he's measuring every single thing, every single function. He's even measuring his erections at night. I'm like, okay, wow. But yeah, so we have sleep trackers. We have calorie trackers. You can buy things where you can blow into and apparently measure parts of your metabolism. I don't know how accurate they are. The idea though, is that, is this data useful to you in any way? And I think that the sleep tracking has shown that it can make people anxious about whether or not they're sleeping. And so I think that's an important thing that not all data is useful. How is this data changing the quality of your life? So for example, if you're worried or you feel that you haven't been the same mood-wise, it's very valuable to track your mood for two or three cycles to see, is it related to your menstrual cycle or not? Because it could be PMS, but it could be depression. A menstrual cycle tracking can help with that. Does that mean that you need to do it for the rest of your life? No. If you want to, sure, it's, it's your body and your choice. And I think it just depends on what that information is doing for you and how it's improving your quality of life or possibly narrowing it that you say, well, I can't do something because maybe I'm at this part of my cycle, but the paper might not always reflect what's happening in the world around you. So you're more than just what's happening to your menstrual cycle. I think that that's a really good point. And I think that for me, I found myself getting into that headspace where I was over-tracking and I became obsessive. And I know that if you do have OCD, seriously, but then also if you have a bit of an obsessive compulsive personality, like I do, I didn't find it very helpful. So now I don't do it <laughs> for me personally. So that would not be an uncommon thing that I've heard. So it creates hypervigilance and you become like, oh my, I have to write everything down. And for a lot of people, it can absolutely get them a little bit too far down that rabbit hole. I would always tell people like, what's your goal with the cycle tracking? What's the actual goal? What do you think it's going to do for you? And if it's a nebulous thing, like, ooh, improve my life, then I don't think it's really been shown to do that. If it's a, I want to use an FDA approved or an FDA cleared fertility awareness method to prevent getting pregnant. Okay. Yeah, totally fine. Absolutely. I think what a lot of these 
people who promote this sort of hypervigilance with cycle tracking, they blend when they talk about it, the medical benefits. They don't really say specifically it's going to help your health, but there's a lot of implications there. And so it would lead many people to fill in the blanks and say, well, of course, this is going to improve my quality of life when we don't really have the data to say that. Yeah. Wow. So how does this keep happening? How are we in a place where it is totally normalized to have full companies, products, and everything being built around problems that people do have, but without the research and the science to justify it or validate it? In the United States, if you don't plan on getting your product FDA approved, and if you use the right language, you're dodging around the words, you can do whatever you want. There is no consumer protection at all. And people always want to believe, it's interesting to me that people will treat product because they think it's a plant source as being safe, but so many pharmaceuticals are plant sources. They're just tested, right? So there's chemotherapy that originally came from the bark of the Pacific yew tree. Nature is full of very harmful things, like very harmful, very toxic things. It's a big buying into the idea of natural being benign and using natural to define whatever you want. Yeah, cobra bite's natural. Let's be real. Botulism toxin. That's natural. Why would you go through the work that it takes with pharma to get your thing FDA approved when you can take this faster route and really face very little ramifications at all? And it's a big problem. And that's why I feel like this is always going to be an uphill battle because there's a lot of money to be made by selling supplements. I could call up a company. There are companies that will make you whatever supplements you want. And I can say, I want you to put in vitamin B6, folic acid, this and this. And I'm going to call it Dr. Jen Gunter's vaginal health supplement. And they'll send it to me. They'll design a package for it. They'll design a logo. And I can then sell it through my online store and mark it up for $50. And as long as I don't say it treats a specific thing, just say, oh, it's a vaginal supplement. I can get around the FDA rules and I could make a small fortune. If you're feeling stuck in your job or like you've lost your career mojo and your work doesn't satisfy you like it once did, Girlboss is here to help. Our brand new course, Spark Your Career Renaissance, is your career playbook for going from stuck to success. Girlboss resident columnist and career coach Tori Lazar is not here to tell you to quit your job or ask for a raise. You're going to go deeper, way deeper to unlock your true source of joy and ambition. Click the link in the show notes to join. You're listening to my chat with Dr. Jen. Next up, she shares her thoughts about Kourtney Kardashian's vagina gummies and whether or not they really work. Let's get back into it. So one of the most viral supplements that I saw was the Lemmy line that's led by Kourtney Kardashian. And she has specifically vaginal health gummies appropriately <laughs> named per. Are you familiar with this product? I'm not. It's a scam. So first of all, don't buy anything from a Kardashian for your health. Like seriously, they're not health experts. They're fantastic at making money. I would listen to them talk on a business blog all day long. They clearly are business or somebody in that family is very smart from a business and marketing standpoint. But if there was a product that could improve your vaginal health and it was actually shown to do that, don't you think doctors would be recommending it? You really have to go to a Kardashian for your vagina? I think that, yeah, they're just preying on disinformation and I would never, ever take personally, ever take a supplement from a celebrity health line ever. Yeah. I have the website in front of me right now, checking out Lemmy, and there's nothing here saying that it's FDA approved. 
No, of course it's not FDA approved. If it was FDA approved, she couldn't be advertising it in the way she was. They'll have these vague claims and somewhere at the bottom, it'll say they have the the language disclaimer. So yeah, I have very little time and in very low opinion for celebrities who do that, who abuse the trust that they have with the public. Aren't you making enough money selling other things that you have to get people to spend their hard earned money for something that can't possibly help them? Because the flip side is when I see people in the office who've spent their hard earned money for years on these things, it just really breaks my heart that somebody has spent $1,200 on something that can't possibly help them. But the Kardashian doesn't care. She just made her money. And I'm the one sitting listening to this poor woman who has spent $1,200 that she didn't have. They're real people who get harmed, not only by maybe delaying care, but by spending a lot of money on something that can't help them. And it just bugs me that's allowed. Well, yeah, that's the thing I'm looking and it's 42 to 50 plus dollars per little bottle of this. And right at the bottom of the website, it says these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So why are you spending $42 on something that can't possibly do anything? Because the way it's advertised by the Kardashian is that somehow it's going to do something it can't. Celebrities have been shown to influence people from a health standpoint. That's why advertisers use them. And I always tell people when they ask me about things like that, look, I'm a world expert in the vagina. I've run a clinic for vaginal health conditions for almost 30 years. I have a fellowship in infectious diseases and you couldn't pay me enough to take that. You literally couldn't give me enough money to take it. Yeah. And I think what you said is like the main reason why I find these types of products that are being peddled by celebrities or built and run and founded by celebrities is that it's the delay care. People are going to and turning to these products because they have a problem that they're wanting to solve. Are there products that you'd recommend that you think are really great? Or is this something that you can't generally do? So a product for what? Let's just say someone that has vaginal odor. They should go see a healthcare provider. Okay. So I would never, ever buy any over-the-counter product for vaginal odor. They are all scams. Every single feminine hygiene product, every wash, every wipe, they're all harmful. They're all harmful. At best, they do nothing. If you think you have an odor, you should see a healthcare provider and get a diagnosis. None of these products can do anything. It's a whole misunderstanding. Some people have true medical conditions like bacterial vaginosis, and that should be treated appropriately. Other people don't actually have an odor, and they've been told by some scum dude that they stink. And this is stuck with them for years. And they now have a hypervigilance about their normal body. Because I run a clinic where I specialize in treating people who've been like that, I would say 50% of the people come in to see me who think they have a vaginal odor don't. And what I do is I put a swab in their vagina and I pull it out and I say, I want you to smell this. Is this smell abnormal? No. And it's always because some awful man said something to them. So you either have a medical condition or you need someone to work through and figure out what's going on. And if your pH in your vagina is normal, the chance that is contributing to an odor is really unlikely. And there are vaginal health experts. My book, The Vagina Bible, goes through, I think I have an odor. What are all the potential things that can contribute to it? But please don't waste your money on any over-the-counter products. We talked a little bit about the myth of cycling. Is there another one that people should know about? 
I think this idea that contraception, hormonal contraception is some great evil is really this thing that has taken off on social media. And yeah, this idea that some great evil and it's not. There's all these people saying, oh, well, it changes your brain. Every experience changes your brain. Being pregnant changes your brain. Having postpartum depression changes your brain. Having pelvic pain changes your brain. Walking and the day you had today changes your brain. And so what they do is they take little kernels of truth about something and they explode it to be something that it isn't. So I would just say that if somebody is fear-mongering about something that's been around for a long time, then that would be something to really pause and reflect. Hormonal contraception has resulted in massive economic gains for women. Massive. So that's an important thing for people to understand. And many people have significant medical conditions that can only be treated with hormonal contraception, menstrual migraines, endometriosis. There's obviously other treatments for endometriosis as well, but many people, hormonal contraception works great. PMS, heavy menstrual bleeding. What we are seeing now are people who are getting inferior care because they're afraid of hormonal contraception because of these videos they've seen on social media. And I guess people just don't have any ethics. It's really sad. We'll see people who are iron deficient with anemia and they're scared to go on a hormonal medication that could stop them bleeding so we could get things figured out. On that note, I wanted to ask, what are some things that women and people who menstruate can do to be proactive about their health? It really does seem like it's on us. Yeah. First of all, to get educated is the most important thing. One is to think about the healthcare screenings that you need to have. So cervical cancer screenings, what are your national guidelines? And make sure that, keep a log, are you getting your cervical cancer screening? Have you been screened for diabetes and high cholesterol? We recommend that screening as well and how often will depend on your family history. Have you had your blood pressure checked? So just making sure you've had your basic screening and you get them done. When you see your doctor and say, okay, it's my next screening that's due. When you're 45, getting your colon cancer screening or earlier if you have a family history. And so I do think it's a really good idea for people. We've talked about hypervigilance, and I think that is very much a reaction to often being ignored or having symptoms that don't get treated because you feel you have to do something, right? You got to do something. But wouldn't it be great if we could teach people, like, these are the things you actually really should be tracking. You really should be like, have I had my blood pressure checked this year? Have I had this? And so people can actually be up to date on their health screening would actually help go a long way. Amazing. And I think looking ahead before we wrap up this conversation, what initiatives or projects are you really excited about in the realm of women's health advocacy today? I am very excited that apparently the Biden administration is going to be giving a lot more money over to studying women's health. So I think that's amazing. And I want to see where that goes. I would be really interesting to see how it's going to be parceled out, what areas that they're going to focus on. I think that's probably the most exciting thing because, okay, you're going to earmark a bunch of money. So now what? What are the projects we're going to be working on? So I think that's really exciting. And it's good to see the president of the United States saying this is important. It's been understudied. Women have been excluded from research for so long, and we're going to try to do some things about that. So I actually think that's really exciting. One thing I wanted to ask, is there anything else you'd like to leave listeners with before we wrap up today? I would say that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's a good rule of thumb. If you feel there's something wrong with your body, trust your instinct and try to get as much information about your body that you can because knowledge is power. Okay. And I'm going to tell everyone that's listening to this episode right now, read the book and then also tell your friends, tell people that menstruate, tell your women friends, more importantly, to read this book. I think it will be a big unlock for you and it will change your life. So thank you for that. 
Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap on my conversation with Dr. Jen. Come back next week for another episode of Girl Boss Radio. And in the meantime, I need your help. As you know, we've been trying a new format here at Girl Boss Radio, and I would love to hear your thoughts. Please rate this episode and leave your feedback. It really helps us to make Girl Boss Radio better with each episode. This podcast is produced by Liz Cooper and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.